everyone who is a guest here at the Expanding Light, those watching from around the world on the internet, and to our village residents. It's a joy to be here today on this wonderful rainy day. <laughs> We're so glad for it. <clears throat> so our reading this morning, as usual, is from Rays of the One, Night, One Light, Commentaries on the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita by Swami Kriyananda. Why tell God anything when he knows everything? Why offer God anything when he has everything? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ teaches as the ideal prayer, one that addresses very human demands to God, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus himself says, just before suggesting this prayer, your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. Why then his recommendation that we pray for anything? The answer is that we should offer ourselves up in acceptance of his abundance. Don't pester God as though pulling constantly on his sleeve to get his attention. Approach him with the confidence of a child in its parent. And in that spirit, then, ask him lovingly, but with complete trust, as though demanding your birthright, and without the slightest doubt in your mind that he wants only your best. For you don't have to persuade him the way a beggar or a stranger might. You are his own child. God knows everything already. He knows what is in your heart. It is you who need to clarify your feelings that you attune yourself to him in turn more clearly. For only by such clarity will you be able to receive perfectly what he gives you. For the same reason, we need to offer ourselves to him, not because he needs anything from us, except, as Yogananda said, our love to complete his love for us, but because by self-giving, we expand our awareness from its confinement in the little ego outward to infinity. Those who partake of the nectar remaining after a sacrifice, says the Bhagavad Gita in the fourth chapter, attain to the infinite spirit. That person, however, who makes no sacrifices never truly succeeds in enjoying even the blessings of this material world. How then could he attain happiness in subtler realms? Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. It's our great joy to share Sunday service with you today. I'm uh, Tiagi Peter, and this is Tiagini uh, Lisa. This is a reading from Yogananda's book, Whispers from Eternity, his book of spiritual poems. Every sound that I make 
let it have the vibration of thy voice. Every thought that I think, let it be saturated with the consciousness of thy presence. Every feeling that I have, glow with thy love. Let every act of my will be impregnated with thy divine vitality. Let every thought, every expression, every ambition be ornamented by thee. O divine sculptor, chisel thou my life according to thy design. I feel a little bit like a third grader today because I have show and tell. (laughs) Remember when you were in elementary school and everybody would have to bring an item from home and get up in front of the class and describe it and tell what it's about? Well, mine is a very, from an interesting, I'd say curious experience I had uh, about five years ago. It was at the end of a very busy day uh, where I work at a clinic And I remember that day particularly because for some reason I had more than the usual number of things jumbled in my mind trying to remember things about patient care and issues with the finances of the clinic and staff not getting along, the kinds of things that we deal with in any organization or group. And uh, I stopped by on my way home and picked up, there was a package for me, something I'd ordered from Amazon, a book I think, and there was my little Amazon package. I picked it up, and uh, I noticed as I was driving home, it was just starting to get dark, and uh, I had the headlights on. They, for some reason, the light looked a little odd, but I didn't think anything about it. It was kind of twilight. It was a little hard to tell if anything was really wrong. And I pulled into the parking lot where I live, and uh, one of my neighbors, Pushpa, uh, came over and knocked on my window. She said, your left headlight is out. And I said, Really? And I said, huh, well, okay, thanks. Thanks for telling me. So I grabbed my package and I walked down to my house and uh, opened it up and inside was a little packing slip and the item that I had ordered. And I looked at the packing slip and there was the book I'd ordered and it was in there. It was all nicely wrapped up, but there was also this doodad and it wasn't on the packing slip. And I don't know, I've probably ordered 300 things from Amazon and they have never gotten my order wrong or included something that shouldn't be in there. So I was kind of interested as to what this thing they sent me was. It was sort of a gift from the universe. It had just come to me. So I went and I looked it up on the internet and it's some sort of a, I don't know, a light doodad. It says Phillips on it. Standard. So I typed in into the internet to see what it was. It turns out it was a headlight. I went, no, you're kidding. (laughs) Remember, I picked up this box that had been shipped two days before, and I just found out 30 seconds before that my headlight was out. So I typed in Toyota, and it fit Toyotas. And I went to look to see if it was my year, and I had this thought in my mind, Peter, you're so concerned about details. I know everything that's going on in your life, and you do not need to worry about details. So I have kept this on my altar. I never actually looked up to see if it would fit my car. I thought, this, what a unique little gift from Divine Mother, just as a 
just as a throwaway reminder that every worry in my life, every detail of my life, God knows. God's planned for it. And it only seems to me that things are chaotic. In fact, it's all very well organized. I actually had this thought this morning that particularly the longer we're on the spiritual path that we realize that rather than sort of wandering through a forest and trying to get somewhere, that in fact we've been in sort of a chute that's going somewhere, almost like a log flume where we're sort of bumping along, going down this track to get to a place. And I actually remembered from probably about 30 years ago when we first opened our medical clinic. One thing we'd do a couple of times a year is we'd close the clinic for half a day. I don't think we could do that now um, with the number of patients we have. But back then we would close and go do something fun as a group. So this one day we decided to go to a water slide park down in uh, Sacramento. And so there we were, 10 adults, all there at the water slide park with about 5 million little children. and some very harried parents. And one thing I noticed after going down this sort of water slide thing was that um, if your arms were out and your legs were out, not only did it kind of hurt as you were going down this little slide, but you didn't go very fast. So I was watching some of the other people who were really good at it and went really fast, and I noticed they would tuck everything in, and so they'd have like no resistance, and they'd just zoom down the chute. And I've realized that that's very much like being on the spiritual path, is that really all we're doing is learning to sort of tuck everything in so we don't have resistance anymore. And all along, we've been pushed along by the water along this chute, and we're just flopping around, and it feels uncomfortable because we're flopping and we're bumping. And when we just tighten in and just know we're only here for the ride and we're actually going to end up somewhere that we want to be then it goes much faster and much less painless and much more painlessly. I think it's most helpful to think about this life as really an engrossing school, sort of all-consuming, where it's, it's, there's enough interesting things happening that you could actually just spend all your time being involved in what's happening in this schoolroom of our life and never think about anything else, never think that it has a purpose. And in fact, our lives have been designed for us so that everything we experience is educational. Whether it feels pleasant or feels pleasant, it's there because we're going somewhere, and these are specific things we have incarnated to learn. I've often pondered this, that what happens to us just before uh, we incarnate, just before we come in and become a baby? What sort of conversation do we have with the guru before we incarnate? And I've always had this thought in my mind. I never got around to asking Swami if something like this uh, actually happens or whether he ever asked Master or anything like this. But I always had this thought that probably we have a check-in with the guru just before we incarnate where the guru actually... Um, essentially sits us down and says, okay, here's your next incarnation. This is what you're going to be. This is who you're going to be. 
This is, the, this is the personality you're going to have. And here are the specific things that you're going to work on. And I just want to warn you ahead of time, you're going to have three or four big challenges. This is one, this is one, this is a real big one. And there'll be this last one. But don't worry about it. You're all prepared for this. And I will be there to help you throughout the whole thing. Oh, one last thing. Just before you go, you're going to forget all this. <laughs> So just like some science fiction movie, we wake up and we're in this squealing little pink body, can't even control our pee and poop, and we can't understand what anybody's saying, and trying to remember that there, there was something I forgot. What was it? I don't know how many of you had that experience growing up. It was like, yeah, I'm here. Yeah, I'm doing this. This is all nice and pleasant, and no, I don't like that, but... There was something else. There was something else either I was supposed to do. I remember by the time I was in my 20s, I was getting a little disturbed that I had this strong feeling there's specifically something I'm supposed to do, and I don't know what it is. And it just felt like I was bumping through my life, having a life, being successful, without really getting at what I was supposed to do. And, of course, the, what I was supposed to do was be on the spiritual path. As soon as I was there and began to feel that, that feeling of incompleteness began to go away. <clears throat> one of my friends uh, that I work with at the clinic, one of our nurses, found this very odd video on the Internet that he grabbed me one day and he said, I have to show you this. For years I've been trying to explain to my wife what a, a day at our clinic is like when it's really busy. And um, I actually came across a video that I thought explains it really well. I said, okay, yeah, let's, let's look at it. And so he calls up this little thing on, I think it was YouTube, and it was this very strange Japanese game show <laughs> and, where two um, uh, groups of volunteers from two different charities, they're both trying to win this cash prize, participate in what I would call a series of trials, where they all have to go through all these um, different, usually very muddy events, you know, like they'll be on opposite ends of a tug of war and one group gets pulled into the mud. Um, those are the losers. And um, another one would they be um, standing on this tower about, I don't know, 15 feet tall over a big pond holding onto a rope, and then they do this Tarzan-style maneuver and swing way out over the pond, and they're supposed to drop on this little five-foot floating circle. And, of course, most of them miss, <laughs> to the great delight of all the fans. <laughs> but the one he wanted me to see when it came up was this rope crossing across this little, like, canyon. It was about 30 feet long. It was about 30 feet in the air with, a, you know, a net underneath, so if you fell off, you, you wouldn't get hurt. But the uh, contestants would uh, start at the beginning of this little rope crossing, so they had a rope in each hand and a rope underneath their feet, and they'd begin to sort of inch their way across. And it looked like, well, you know, this isn't too bad. This actually looks like one of their easier events. Well, that's until you saw the air cannon. <laughs> and it turns out, that through a lot of these events, you have these guys dressed like little samurai, that are doing things to trip you up and make things more difficult. And in this one, they had these air cannon that shot soccer balls. 
So here are these people, you know, with little helmets on, kind of going across this little rope, and periodically, boom, you know, the soccer ball would come up, and whoosh, just barely miss them, or bonk, hit them in the hip, and they'd kind of go, whoa, and then topple off. And we watched this for about 30 seconds, and he said, that's it. That's exactly what our day is like. <laughs> we do this really difficult thing where you're trying to be really controlled, and people are lobbing soccer balls at you all day. <laughs> Actually, I liked it because it kind of reminded me, this is a lot like the spiritual path, is you're trying to stay very focused and concentrated, and life's karmas the little air cannon soccer balls of life come flying at us, trying to unhinge us, make us want to let go of the rope, make us more concerned about our safety than actually getting across. <clears throat> actually, it's hard to believe this has been um, almost 35 years ago for me, but uh, when I did my medical training as an intern in a big hospital. I did it at this um, county hospital down in Stockton in the Central Valley. And I would just have to call it the kind of hospital that they would make movies about. Because it was a very kind of wild place with many different kinds of people that would come there. I remember the uh, first group of patients that I saw in the emergency room were 10 Russian sailors who all had Giardia <laughs> that they had contracted on their ship. People don't realize that, but Stockton is actually a seaport because the river comes all the way into Stockton and they load grain and things like that. So people from all over the world would come to Stockton and some of them would end up in our emergency room. But this was a very old hospital. And next door, they were building a brand new hospital. It was going to open in about two years that everyone called state-of-the-art. And for the building I was in, they just said it was in a state. <laughs> in fact, some of the more charming things about it included the fact that the elevators would just periodically stop. You'd be riding in the elevator, and the electrical system would overheat downstairs somewhere. And the elevator would just stop moving. The the fan would go off and the lights would go off. And it would just do that for about 30 seconds to up to 15 minutes. And, you know, you could call the little person in the Philippines and say, help, I'm stuck in the elevator. And you'd say, where are you? Well, I'm at the hospital in Stockton. Uh, call me back in 10 minutes if you're still stuck. This, it'll, re, it'll come back on. And it always did. But this would happen two or three times a day in this hospital I was in. <clears throat> Actually, I remember... Just to kind of, it, it was a great hospital to train in, actually, because uh, we had a wonderful esprit de corps. And fortunately, all my fellow residents all had a terrifically good sense of humor. In fact, we, um, I remember we were collecting one morning for morning rounds, and our attending physician who was going to do rounds with us, and we'd present each patient in turn, and we'd discuss the patient on what we were going to do. That was part of our training and how we did our patient care. And I remember we had collected, and we found out our attending was going to be about five minutes late, and so we were standing just chatting, and one of my fellow interns just exploded coming out of the restroom with this frantic expression on his face. Not unusual to see that in an intern at any time <laughs> during that first year, I can tell you. And he said, my pager, my pager, I, it fell out of my pocket. I flushed it. 
And of course, my chief resident said, cool, page it. So we ran around and we started paging it and we, listened, we pinged it all the way through the hospital for about 10 minutes. And I think we finally realized that there wasn't going to be any point in trying to collect it after what it had been through. But that gives you a little bit of a feel for how we were as a team. <clears throat> well, one evening, um, the uh, internal medicine uh, admitting group and myself, uh, all residents, were down in the emergency room, and we were getting ready to move a patient who'd had a heart arrhythmia, um, had been pretty ill, but was getting more stabilized, still a little uh, iffy, so we were going to be taking him directly up to the, up to the uh, intensive care unit, uh, which meant a trip on the dreaded elevator. And so he looked stable enough. He was pretty much unconscious at that point, but we all felt he was probably going to recover just with good hydration and some medication. And so we got to the elevators, and my chief resident said, well, tell you what, why don't you go ahead and take the patient up in the elevator, and we'll meet you up there. We'll take the next elevator, and we'll meet you up there, and I can call ahead, and they'll have, th have things ready for you. So I got in the elevator, which would only accommodate one person plus one of these beds. That's how tiny they were. And we got in, and I punched the button for the ICU. And we went about three feet, and everything stopped. So there I was in this little elevator with this extremely sick person, not conscious, and kind of going, well, what am I supposed to do now? If their heart stops beating, it's just me and this patient. I mean, I suppose I can just do CPR on them. And I don't know if I'm going to be here 30 seconds or 15 minutes. And it was a great year for me as a devotee because I was in situations like this very often where all I could do is say, oh, God, please don't let me screw up. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I remember I just, you know, was, I was in the dark, so I felt for his pulse on his neck, and it fortunately was nice and regular. And so we waited there. It was probably felt like an hour, but it was probably five or seven minutes. Um, and it wasn't so long that when everything came back on, unfortunately, the patient stayed nice and comfortable, probably didn't even know anything had happened, in fact. Um, we made the rest of the way of our trip up to the intensive care unit. The door opened, and everyone was waiting for us, like nothing had happened, and said, oh, good, you're here. We just got everything ready, and uh, why don't you just take them right over into this bay? And no one was concerned at all. And uh, I'd sweated through my shirt and my intern jacket at that point. <laughs> You know, it's so interesting how life is for us that um, we have all these interesting, exciting little adventures in our lives and very much like watching a small child playing, you can see them having fun with their little toys and falling down and bumping their knees. And we're really just doing that exact same thing, except we're doing it in adult fashion where, you know, our bodies get hurt or our hearts get hurt or great things happen or things that are uncomfortable happen to us. But in the end, God has designed this entire life just as a school for us. And if we are perseverant, if we remember that the reason that we're here is to know God and to be one with God, he will bring us home. He will make all our inadequacies full. 
all the things that we need to change, he will help us change. And in the end, all we need to do is relax and focus on attunement and a focus on devotion. You know, the spiritual path really is very simple. I think so often we make it much more difficult than it needs to be, that if we just remember, yes, we have to get up and do our routines every day and serve in the areas that we serve, but as long as in our mind we're remembering, I'm doing this to get to know God, I'm doing this to have greater attunement with God, and if the most frustrating thing you can imagine presents itself, God himself has given that to you in that moment because it's precisely what you need. So I'm often told by some of my staff that something frustrating will happen and I'll kind of roll my eyes or I'll start mumbling to myself about um, why is this happening. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm glad that I get confronted with things like that because it forces me to remember that, boy, I'm not liberated yet. I'm not free. These, still, these things still annoy me. I like to think at some point anything would happen and I wouldn't care. I would just see it as purely coming from God and nothing that I need to worry about as a human being, that it's all in God's hands and all I can do is my best. So remember as we go through life that God is there constantly whispering in our mind, whispering in our soul, trying to coax us into the right direction. Remember back at the beginning of my talk, I mentioned it's as though we have this talk with Master ahead of time, with Yogananda, before we incarnate into this body. And he tells us everything that's going to happen. And we agree and say, yes, I'll definitely do this. But then we end up back in this state of very poor memory. But there's Master whispering in our soul, whispering in our conscious, trying to get through to us to remember what the spiritual life is about, that it's all about attunement and devotion. The reason that we go through this process is for our training. But just like uh, Arjuna had Krishna as his charioteer, we have Master as our guide. And whatever situation we're in, no matter how ridiculous it seems or difficult it seems, that God is there advising us, encouraging us, and forever loving us. 